tonight, from our ministry manual, um, I'm going to be teaching you a lesson that Dr. Spell did called Three Keys to Productive Ministry. Don't we want to be productive, have productive ministry? Um, I think God's moving us all into new areas, new levels, um, this whole church. I mean, after the meetings we've just had, too, there were impartations made, I believe, um, by Dr. Rodney Howard Brown for us to do as a church and individually what we're being called to do. Amen? Amen. So let's start first. Three keys to productive ministry, but let's first talk about ministry. What is ministry? Ministry is wherever you are, right? Um, Wherever Jesus was, was where the ministry was, right? You don't need a role, a title, an office to be in ministry, right? The ministry is wherever you are on a daily basis. You can have ministry to your family, ministry at work, Ministry at school, ministries everywhere, right? So um, my dad used to quote, or he still does, quote, he says something that um, I've heard a number of times. You know, when you're the pastor's kid, not only do you hear it at home, but you hear it from the pulpit. So you hear it more than anybody else. You know, if it's real to the pastor, they're going to say it at home, not just at church, right? So my dad used to say this um, often, and I've heard it often. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By the things that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. What is the gospel according to you? Right? So every day, everything that we're doing can be ministry. Because we are telling people what the good news is by what we believe. Because what we say and do is what we believe. So what is the gospel according to what we're saying and we're doing on a daily basis? So what is ministry for? Well, ministry ministering to anybody is to point them to Jesus, right? The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, the source of light, power, and freedom, right? That's what we always want to point to people to is there's power, there's freedom, there's life that you may be missing out on, right? So we know Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, right? That's what we've been hearing. So all of this is what we're called to do, right? So we're called to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to prove that our God was greater, right? And so that's what we do. We prove on a daily basis, our God is greater than the God of this world. So Jesus came to show us the father. So that's our job is to show people the father. That was the, that was the only term Jesus referred to God as father. That was the number one thing he wanted. He said, I have, I have, I have told them your name. The only name he ever used was Father. So he wanted us to understand who God was to us, right? So Jesus came and he lived above Satan. I love that. He's like my champion, my hero. He just didn't give Satan an inch, and I love it. And so he showed us how to do that. When we had the Holy Spirit, that's what we can do. We can live above Satan. And he did this. By knowing the word, right? Because he even told his parents the word, what the word said. It said he went to the temple and they were astonished at what he knew. Like people who studied the word, right? So he lived above Satan, destroyed the works of the devil because he knew the word and he listened and obeyed the father all the time. That was it. It was pretty simple. He knew the word and he listened and obeyed the father. And then he ultimately gave us the power and authority to do the same thing. 
live about Satan, show us the show people the Father, prove that our God is greater. That's the authority and the power He gave us when we became born again. Amen. So I say again, are we proving this on a daily basis? This should be our goal on a daily basis to prove that we can live above Satan because we have the power to do so and the authority to do so, to show people the Father, right, and to destroy the works of the devil. So what is the gospel according to you, right? So Dr. Savelle said three keys, not just to ministry, but productive ministry. So what makes it productive? Well, productive means producing, right? It means fruitful, right? But to me, it means winning. Productive ministry means we're winning, right? And that doesn't mean winning over your neighbor, winning over your boss or, you know, the jerk down the street, right? Or the neighbor who's fussing over your property line. It means winning over darkness, right? So you take a seriously light and darkness and you refuse to be fooled by darkness, to get into darkness, to work for darkness, to be a mouthpiece for darkness, right? So when darkness comes against you, you don't respond in like, you know, it says of Jesus that he didn't return reviling for reviling, right? So we don't act like them. So we win constantly. That's productive ministry is learning how to win in this life and then to teach others to do it. Show them how to do it. That's productive ministry. Um, Jesus said in John 14, 12, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do. And we know he confounded them. He frustrated them because he never fell to like people who came to put him down, attack him. He never, he was so much wiser than them because he was purposeful to only do what the father told him to do. Only say what the father told him to say. Right. And so that's where we need to be. And if you have been a Christian any length of time. And if you haven't been a Christian any length of time, I'll tell you this. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this or how long you've done right things. If you don't continue doing the right things, you'll stop producing. Just like ground. If if you let weeds crop up, it's not going to produce like it used to. You have to continually cultivate your ground. You have to continually determine that you're going to do the right thing. To me, one of the best examples of this is marriage. Because I don't know about you, but over and over again, you, like, um, especially newly married, but hey, it doesn't matter if you've been in it 20 years, sometimes you're the one who feels like you're the one that's always doing things right. Right? And when are they going to choose to do the right thing? When are they going to do the right thing? I always do the right thing. Why, God, why are you asking me to do the right thing? Again. Again, why am I the most mature one that I have to do the right thing? Why can't they just do the right thing? But it doesn't matter. You have to keep doing the right thing, right? Keep doing the next right thing. Because ultimately, we want God results, right? Not take, right? Eric, are you listening? Anyway, <laughs> um, he is in Michigan headed back, so he'll be back on Monday. But uh, yeah, we'll ask him if he listened. Um, so, yeah, so we doing the next right thing because we want God's results, right? You can have temporary pleasure or you can have eternal results, you know? So it's your choice. So in this lesson that Dr. Saval did, the, the verse that he chose to start out with was Colossians 1, 9, and 10, which says, We do not cease to pray for you that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful unto every good work. Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, 
Well, right there, when you know you're pleasing to God, you know that requires faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews tells us, right? So you have to have faith in everything that you're doing. You have to trust God. Faith is simply trusting God. So in every situation, you trust him that his way will work. And so when you work his way, you will be fruitful. You will be fruitful in every good work. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if it's your marriage, if it's parenting, if it's your job, or if it's ministry, if it's healing the sick, raising the dead. If you're believing him, if you're doing it his way, if you're listening for his voice, then you will be productive. Um, according to Dr. Savelle, productive means fruitful, but it also means lasting. Remember Jesus said, I want your fruit. I think it's John 14 or 15, John 15, 16. He said, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So it should be fruit that's lasting, like eternal forever, which automatically requires that it be of God, right? Because God is eternal. His word is eternal. So he want, you want it to be lasting. We are, we're told that God chose Abraham to have Isaac because he knew that he would teach his children after him. So see, when you teach your children what God teaches you, then they teach their children, and they teach their children, and they teach their children, and it's perpetual through the generations. That's what you hope. That's what you, that's what you train up for, right? So God wants it to be lasting. He wants it to continue on. That's why he told the kings in the Old Testament, if you'll live this way, you'll always have a king on the throne. Now, we know they didn't do it, but he did tell them. That's what's his plan. That's what's his will for them was to always be that way. So he wants lasting fruit. And so do we. We want lasting, productive ministry. So let's get to the three keys. Dr. Savelle's three keys to productive ministry. The first one, honor and integrity. Honor and integrity. Honor means having a sense of right and wrong characterized by honesty and integrity. Honor means having a sense of right and wrong characterized by honesty and integrity. I mean, whenever you think of honesty, obviously the opposite of that is lies, right? right. And Satan is called the father of lies. Right. So why would we want anything to do with lying? No matter how small, no matter what the exaggeration, none of it, have nothing to do with it because this minute you give yourself over to lying, you've just made Satan your father, Right? And that's not, that is not who we are to be of, right? So characterized by honesty and integrity. Honor means respectable, having a good reputation. God puts a heavy emphasis on having a good name. So he says in Proverbs 22, 1, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That's God. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. His name is important to him. So your name should be important to you. What people think of when they hear your name, right? When Daniel and some of the other um, teenagers got taken to Babylon, they, de they determined they would not defile themselves. They were going into another kingdom. They were leaving their parents. They were taken from their parents. Their parents would never know. Their parents would never know. But yet they still determined they would not defile themselves. Back home, nobody was going to know if they did or not. But they determined they were not going to do that. Why? Because of a good name. They wanted to have honor and integrity toward their God. And so they made that decision up front. Integrity. So honor and integrity. Integrity means wholeness, 
It means an unbroken state of moral soundness. Now remember, we're talking about keys to productive ministry, so don't forget what we're talking about. I'm, I'm going to define some words for you, but the whole point is to be productive in ministry. So integrity means wholeness, an unbroken state of moral soundness, purity, entire and genuine, which means unimpaired and uncorrupted, right? To me, integrity, my definition of integrity is be a Christian always, always. That's pure, genuine, unbroken, always, right? That's the goal. I know we don't do it perfectly. I know we have moments of weakness and temptation and things like that, but hopefully we repent and get back on track, right? And we're quick to do so. But be a Christian always. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, The just man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. So if you're walking in your integrity, that suggests lifestyle. It's the way you go about doing things. It's not just a moment. It's not just once in a while. It's the way you go about doing things. His children are blessed after him. We all know this. It's common sense that how you act affects your generations because your children act like you do. Or how about if you act a certain way in school and that, and your son or daughter goes to school and has the same teacher They're going to treat them how you treated the teacher. That's the, I mean, we've all had those, those situations, I'm sure. Someone just this past week was telling me how their brother was, you know, kind of a scoundrel in school. And then they were younger, so they grew up and had the same teacher. And the teacher treated them as if they were their brother. That's what I'm talking about. So how you act affects your generation. It impacts your family. And the Bible says in Philippians 2.15, as far as integrity is concerned, we're to shine as lights in the world. That means we are different. We are different. And we're pointing the way to life. We're pointing the way to safety as a light in this world. Romans 12, 2, we all know this verse, but it says, be not conformed to this world. That means, conformed means made to resemble. We're not supposed to look anything like them. Act like them, sound like them, react like them. None of that. Conformed means assuming the same likeness in manners. Now there's one. Sometimes people don't even know manners anymore, much less the word of God. Can we just concentrate on manners? We are not to be like them in their manners, their opinions, their moral qualities. Conformed means to comply with or yield to. So we are not to comply to the world, yield to the way they do things, how they handle things. How they climb the ladder, that is not, those are not our ways. Their ways are so opposed to our ways. And if you're in their ways, you'll hear me later say, God, you may actually find yourself being opposed by God. And you don't want to be there. That's going to defeat the whole purpose of what you're trying to do, of where you're trying to go. So let's instead comply with Christ. Yield to the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom, right? Have integrity, Always being a Christian. Always being a Christian. Dr. Savelle had a quote where he said, this is a strong saying, and I'm just going to tell you what he said. Without integrity, you are just another religious person who will never be effective. Because you're just going through the motions. Without integrity, it's not who you are. It's just something you're doing. But it's not who you are. And you want to be effective. 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 
The Bible says it like this. You have a form of godliness, but you deny its power. You can't just look like a Christian. Come across like a Christian. Say Christian things once in a while. You have to understand that what you're saying is real, and it should be changing how you react, how you respond, your character. You know, we, I think we just sang it in that, that second song. You know, it's, it, it's teach me first. You know, I was telling someone today, you know, Luke's, Luke writes in Acts, he writes of his book in Luke, he says, I wrote what Jesus began to do and teach. Don't worry about teaching someone else until you're doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Make sure you're practicing. The Bible says you exercise, you practice to discern good and evil. And you practice and you get better. That's the good news is you'll get better. We're going to get more to that in a minute because we're going to hit another key. All right, so number one, honor and integrity. That will help you to be productive and have productive ministry. Because let's face it, if you're not the same person all the time, people don't know what to expect. Right. They don't, they, I mean, if, if you're not nice some of the time, it's hard for people to come to you for ministry if they don't like you. <laughs> right? So it's pretty important that you have Christian character or you're not going to be able to help them. They're not going to want your help. So number two, the second, the second key to um, productive ministry is obedience and faithfulness. Obedience and faithfulness. Because let's face it, what makes your ministry productive to God? Isn't it that you're going where he says to go and doing what he says to do? You know, there's a scripture where somebody comes to Jesus, and or Jesus is telling the story, that somebody comes to him and says, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, and we did this in your name, and we did this in your name, and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. I would say that was not very productive. They didn't even make heaven. Do you know what I mean? So we want to make sure we're being productive, which means to God, that means going where he says go, doing what he says do, and only that. Right? And that doesn't mean it has to be a big booming voice. You're led by the Spirit. Typically, you know what not to do. But when you get really good at it, then you know what to do. Right? You see it in the Word. You see what Jesus does, and it becomes how you behave, how you do ministry, how you touch people, pray for people, how you pray, how you go to the Father. You just start doing things the way Jesus did. For example, in Acts chapter 8, we have, um, they started persecuting the church. Jesus is gone now. The disciples are there. Lots of ministry has happened. Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has come. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. And then they start persecuting the church. Well, it says they scattered everywhere, right? And they started telling everyone. And it says Philip went to Caesarea and he was just having, or Samaria, and he was just having an astounding time. Miracles. It was amazing. And then around verse 26, God sends Philip to the desert. You know, not a city. There's not a lot of people there. And he gets there and there's one guy driving by in a chariot. And he ministers to that one guy. But he went where God told him to go, and he did what God told him to do, and it was productive. That one guy took the word of the Lord to Ethiopia, took the gospel to Ethiopia. And then who knows what happened after that, right? So sometimes it's not the most exciting places you'll go. 
But you have no idea. See, God knows the end from the beginning. And we don't always know the end from the beginning. So we have to just obey because God can do anything. He's amazing. His ways are so far above our ways, Isaiah tells us. Right? So when we do what he asks us to do, the results, whether you see them or not, are going to be amazing, productive, fruitful. So we just have to be obedient. Obedience and faithfulness were two traits of the Apostle Paul, who I think most of us would consider was pretty productive. (laughs) Right? Pretty productive guy. So he says, Paul said in Acts 26, 19, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So we know obedience was a trait Paul possessed. And and he had to have it. Let's face it. Paul was who he was because he obeyed God. God made him Paul. He was Saul. Remember that? God made him Paul. In 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, God counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So we know on God's account, he was obedient and he was faithful. And that's how he became the Apostle Paul. Obedience means you're willing to comply with God's commands. Pretty simple. You want your kids to obey. You want your husband to obey. You want your wife to obey. Obey. You first. Means you are willing to comply with God's commands. You will faithfully perform what he requires you to do. Requires. They're not suggestions. When God talks to you and tells you to do something, it's not really a suggestion. He wants you to be faithful and obedient. And we have to be willing. So obedience means willing to submit to his authority. To me, this means putting his desires above my own. I recognize he needs me to do something for him. Do you understand the awesomeness of that? That you get to do something on behalf of God. He needs you to do something. That is a privilege. A privilege. When Paul stopped, most people don't think about this, but in Acts 9, 6 is when Paul actually started his ministry. Remember when he's on the road to Damascus and that light shines and he hits the ground and Jesus like, I'm Jesus, right? And Paul's like, what? Saul was like, what? I'm sure it's what he was thinking. Like, so you are Lord? <laughs> you are God? You are the Son of God? He started his ministry in that moment when he asked this question. What will you have me to do? That's when ministry started. So on a daily basis, all we have to do is what would you have me to do? In the middle of that moment with that person at work or your spouse in the morning that's Getting on your nerves in the bathroom. Lord, what will you have me to do? (laughs) That's ministry, right? Obedient and faithful. Obedient and faithful. Doing it his way. His way. Faithful. Get this. He wants you to be faithful. Do you know what that means? It means trustworthy. God wants to be able to trust you. Count you worthy of trust. Faithful simply means trustworthy. It means believing. God just wants you to believe him. When he tells you to do something, he just wants you you to believe that that's what will work. And I've said this probably before, but when I was raising my son, and he was in that two- and three-year-old stage, and I knew to use the rod, 
you know, not out of anger, but out of faith, faithfulness for me and discipline for him, I had to say, Lord, this is going to work. I, you, I believe you. I believe you. It, this is going to work. And I just kept being faithful, you know, because it says if you do that, then your children will give you joy. They'll give you peace. So you just keep being consistent to the word of God. You keep doing what you know to do because you believe God. You're clinging. Faith means you're clinging to the word that God said. Faithfulness is doing it in the right attitude. How many of you know you can obey, but you cannot be faithful in your obedience? You know, you don't really want to. Why don't you want to? Because you don't believe God. You're doing something you don't want to do because you don't believe it's going to give you the right results, but you do it because you think you should. Does that make sense? You get faithful. It's like doing it with the right attitude. That's trusting God and being cheerful. Cheerful. It's like when we give our tithes and offerings. God loves a cheerful giver. It doesn't say, I love a giver. Oh, I love a giver. It says, I love a cheerful giver. Because a cheerful giver does it because they love God. They do it because they trust him. That it's no problem for me to give or give to somebody else when God tells me to. Because God's not going to leave me high and dry. He's not. So I just obey, and I'm faithful. Faithfulness does it no matter what. You're faithful. You'll do it no matter what because you just trust God. So whatever he says goes. Faithfulness puts obedience to God as a priority. Why? Because you trust God. Simply you trust God, so you just do it. You just keep doing it. That's faithfulness. Paul said it this way in Acts 20, verse 24. None of these things move me. None of these things move me. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to be faithful. None of these things move me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they fight me. It doesn't matter if they stone me. I mean, the guy who gets stoned, they, they come over. They get, gather around him. He's probably dead. I don't know. They gather around him. They probably prayed for him. He gets up and he walks back into the city that stoned him. None of these things move me. That's obedient and faithful. That's obedient and faithful. He goes on in that verse to say, nor do I count my life dear to myself. There's a key. Is your life dear to you? Because Revelation tells us we overcome him by the, by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and we do not love our own lives to the death. That's how we overcome. If your life is more important to you than obeying God, then it'll come down to that. Obeying God has to be more priority than anything in your life. Anything. Because he promises you'll enjoy the benefits of it. You're not going to obey him in an area and him not come through for you. If you've got an unbelieving spouse, but you keep going to church and they keep fighting with you over it, but you keep being faithful to God, he's not going to leave you high and dry. He's going to work on your behalf. He's working on your behalf, or that person wouldn't even care that you're coming to church. He's working. He's working on them. He's in... So no matter what, none of these things move me. I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to be faithful. And then he goes, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that, why don't I count my life dear to myself so that I can finish my race with joy? <laughs> so I can finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus I will accomplish my ministry because none of these things are going to move me. None of these things are going to move me. It doesn't matter what they say about me. I'm doing the best I can. And I'm just going to keep doing the best I can. 
None of these things move me. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, here's where we go back to what is the gospel according to you? Is his grace sufficient for you or not? Because in every situation, he promises his grace is sufficient for you. He will give you the ability you need, the endurance you need, the love you need, the faith you need. All of it will rise up out of your spirit to be there when you need it. But are we proving that to the world? Because that's productive ministry. Is when you're pulling something off they can't do. It's when they come up to you and be like, how can you take that? God's my defender. He's going to come through for me. Just wait till we get to the next point, which is number three, humility. Humility. See, you can take it because you know that if you're humble, you'll be exalted. You don't need anyone else but your God. Didn't we just sing that too? All I need is you. All we need is you. God will make the way for you. No one else. It doesn't matter. I mean, look at Joseph in the Bible. Goes to Egypt as a slave. You think that's the worst there is. And then he goes to prison. (laughs) And from there he goes to the palace. But he kept himself right. He kept doing the right thing. How do we know that? Because they put him in charge of the prison. They put a slave, a prisoner, in charge of the prison. Why? Because he kept doing the next right thing. And God just kept working with him, helping him. And he just kept seeking God. Humility. It means freedom from pride and arrogance. Absence. It's an absence of pride and arrogance. It's submission to God and God's will. It's humble-mindedness and unselfish. Unselfish. My definition of humility is putting God before me. Putting God before me. And any of my hang-ups. Dr. Savell said, this is his quote, pride is the number one enemy of a productive ministry. Number one, pride. We've heard this so many times in the last few months. Without him, we can do nothing. Nothing. And isn't that the truth? Without him, we all know it, but without him, we can do nothing. Look at Satan. He thought he was going to be God. (laughs) Now look at him. You know what I mean? Like he was, he thought he was going to be as big as God. And God was like, boom, lightning from, Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. That had to be a shocker. (laughs) Without him, you can do nothing. Humility. Jesus, it says, took the form of a servant despising the shame, and became obedient to death. That's humility. He's the son of God. He was at his right hand. And he let them beat him, talk poorly of him, say he had a demon. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? Crazy. But he was humble. And he just kept being God's servant to the point that he rescued us all. Isn't that amazing? So think what your humility could do. 
what God can do through your humility. Humility means you're teachable. You're teachable. And let's face it, we're going to learn a lot. If, if, you're, if you're trying to be a good Christian, you know, if you're trying to get this thing down, become like Christ in every area, renew your mind, put on the new man, you're going to learn. You're not going to be perfect day one. In fact, you're probably not going to be perfect day 20,204, right? We're learning because we're teachable. Look at Saul. Let's go back to Saul and Paul. Paul had a learning moment on that Damascus road. What if he decided, I'm an idiot. I can't do this. Look what I've done to the church. I can't do ministry. What if he'd have quit because he messed up? So you can't only be teachable. You have to be correctable and go on. Every one of us is going to have moments where we're going to learn something. We're going to get better and better at this thing. Look at Peter. You know, I mean, there's not many of us who Jesus called Satan. Right? You have to come back from that. You know? (laughs) You have to be teachable. It takes humility to come back from something. None of us likes to fail. Nobody likes to fail. But you know what? If you're humble, you can fail and and rise up higher. Right. Right? So Peter was called Satan. Why? Why did Jesus look at him and call him Satan? Get behind me. Jesus says it was because he was mindful of the things of man rather than the things of God. So that's pride. Is when you're more concerned with the things of God than you are the th- or the things of man than you are the things of God. That's a good definition of pride, and we can't get we can't go there. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus had listened to Peter? That would have been seriously unproductive for us. Had Jesus never gone to the cross. Talk about unproductive ministry on what on what God had planned for you. So see, God has stuff planned for us every day. He has your 2022 and 2023 planned out. He knows the people that are going to come across your path. And he's preparing you for it right now, tonight. So if we will take these, these keys and make them our own and check ourselves and evaluate ourselves, boy, we're going to have some major testimonies this year. Because that's where God's taking us. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. You have to hate it with everything in you because you know it's not like God, it's like Satan. And it's going to make you unproductive. And if you're for being productive, you're going to hate pride. You're going to be vigilant about it, about getting it out of your life. Proverbs also tells us that pride goes before destruction. It's so horrible. It's so horrible, and we've all seen it in others and probably in our own life. When pride, you know, we just got prideful, and it just ended something that shouldn't have ended, right? Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us that a man's pride will bring him low. Ugh, I hate these verses. I don't even want to say them. Please, Lord, let that not be me. You know, here's a story to tell your kids, and I'm just kind of joking. But in Acts chapter 12, verse 23, King Herod is standing there and he's making a speech and people are talking. Oh, he's a God. He's a God. Oh, he's so great. Oh, he's a God. And he doesn't correct them. And the Bible says he was eaten by worms and died. Tell your kids that. He wasn't died and eaten by worms. He was eaten by worms and then died. Yeah. Warn your kids about pride with that one. They'll remember it, I promise you. (laughs) 
I'm just kidding. Psalm 119, verse 21, says of God, you rebuke the proud. You rebuke the proud, those who stray from your commandments. So there's a definition of proud. Stray from his commandments. All you have to do is stray from his commandments. And you just reveal that you have pride in your life. Because why? Why would we stray from God's commandments? Because we think we know better? We want what we want? Oh, but God doesn't want to prosper you? God doesn't want to help your marriage? God doesn't want to help your kids? Right? 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one says his way is perfect. His way is perfect. And in verse 33, it says he makes my way perfect. So why would I ever stray from his commandments? So we have to become purposeful that we're going to do this. We're going to do this. See how integrity, obedience, humility, they all go hand in hand. It's almost like you can't have one without the others. Proverbs 21, 24 says, A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. Does anybody know what a scoffer is? A scoffer is someone who ridicules, mocks, like with derision. Like you say, um... Oh no, I'm I'm I I give 10% of my money at church. Why? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That's a scoffer. Because they're treating it with derision, what you believe, or what the Bible says, or anything like that. You spank your children, you shouldn't spank your children. That's ridiculous. That's never gonna work, and I'm gonna turn you into CPS. They're despising what the word says. They're despising and they're ridiculing you because of it. That's a scoffer. It's laughing contempt. It's someone who despises and considers what you're saying worthless or what God's saying worthless. So proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. So let's not talk about someone else. Let's talk about ourselves. How many times have we knew to do something and not done it because we didn't think that was going to help? I'm not going to call you a scoffer. You're not a scoffer. (laughs) But a scoffer is not teachable. They won't hear you. They won't learn. They won't receive from the word because they know better. It's haughty, arrogant, prideful. Scoffers. Think about Jairus' house. Remember when Jesus got to Jairus' house and he said, the girl's just sleeping. What did they do? They laughed at Jesus. If they laughed at Jesus, they're going to laugh at you. A servant is never above his master. Christian, do it anyway. Do it anyway. What happened? Jesus put them all out. See, that's what happens with scoffers. People who are arrogant. God will rebuke them. It says God. What is it? James chapter 4. God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Guess what? Jairus still received his miracle because he was humble and he believed God and he refused to scoff at Jesus after his daughter was dead. He still thought Jesus could do something about it. Guess what? He believed him. He believed him. Proverbs 15.33 tells us before honor is humility. 
Honor's going to come. Just keep being humble. Keep being humble. And then 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. See? Humility will always promote you in due time. Just keep being humble. God will come through for you. God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Grace, ability to go beyond yourself. Ability to go beyond what you think you can do. Ability to endure. Ability to love. His grace, again, is sufficient for you. Keep being humble. You'll experience places and things that you've never been before if you just keep being humble. Just keep being humble. God will take you places. Integrity, obedience, and humility work hand in hand. Some of the greatest men and women of the Bible held these traits. You go to Hebrews 11, now that you've heard some of these traits, honor and integrity, faithfulness and obedience, humility, and you'll read about them in in Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see those traits in their lives. Hebrews 11 is like the chapter of our faith heroes, right? Talks about Abraham and Sarah and Moses and so many more. How did they get to be, how did they experience the amazing? I mean, Moses and all those crazy wonders in Egypt? I'd say that's pretty productive ministry, Mick, right? That's crazy. They, they revered him like a god. Why? Because he was working for the god. It says of Moses in Numbers chapter 12 that he, that Moses was very humble more than all men on the face of the earth. He was humble because he did what God told him to do, right? right? When he told him to do it, how he told him to do it. And he only got in trouble one time, and that's when he didn't do it God's way. Because he stood in front of the people as a representative for God. And so do we. So do we. So we need to make sure that we're representing God in a good way. Psalm 3711 says, the meek will inherit the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's inherit the earth, everyone. Let's go ahead and just start inheriting the earth. So let's be humble. Let's get before God. Let's get humble. And let's do things his way so that this earth comes into the kingdom. Amen? I think it's great about humility that you just hear and obey God. And in the end, you're celebrated for it as if you're something special. You get promotions. You get all this. And all you did was do what God told you to do. Just remember that lesson from Herod is that you give God credit. You you don't think you're something special, right? So give God credit. We're going to see and do amazing ministry. You guys are going to see and do amazing ministry in the days ahead. Tomorrow. How about tomorrow? How many want tomorrow? I'll take tomorrow. (laughs) And these keys are going to get us to that and keep us there. Because you want to stay there. You want your fruit to remain. You want to keep having ministry all the days of your life. So these are three keys to productive ministry, right? Knowing what to do and doing the ministry is easy when you're humble, when you're just obeying, hearing and obeying God, when you have integrity. You're being a Christian all the time. It's going to be easy to know what to do and then do it because God will just tell you. And you're listening, you're humble, you're submitted to him. It's pretty hard to hear God when you're angry. I mean, you'll hear him, but you may not want to hear him. You know what I mean? So self-control is a fruit of the spirit, right? 
So is gentleness, which is meekness. And you know, meek, I'll never forget this. Meek means, some people think meekness is like weakness, but meekness is strength under control. Strength and passion under control. I love that about meekness. So, with that said, I want to tell you one more thing. Because we are expecting enormous amounts of ministry from y'all. Testimonies left and right about what's going on with you, through you, on you, in you. People born again, people prayed for, people that you had a word for on the street. On your church center app, right on your phone. If you go to that homepage on your church center app, there's a little blue bar that says, share a testimony. Guys, we want to light the fire of everyone in this church. So we need your testimonies. So anytime you're talking, you meet someone in the grocery store and they get born again, you get out to your car and you open that app and you share that testimony because we want to tell people about productive ministry in this church and how easy it is. Right? And if you can do it, they can do it. So make sure that you're reporting those testimonies so that we can just light a fire about in everyone that this is not hard. This is easy. When you're humble, when you're simply obedient, God can do all kinds of things. And he's going to do all kinds of things. And we want to know about it and hear about it. Okay? So promise me, you're going to fill out the share testimony. Nod your heads. Does everybody know about the Church Center app? Okay, now check it out later. Get in there. You'll see the blue bar. Share a testimony. And you may have had one today, and you may send it in, and I'll know about it tomorrow. So you may have one on the way home. Who knows? You may have a gas station testimony on the way home tonight, like Terry Miner had, and you'll be able to share, and we'll all be able to celebrate. Amen? Did you get something out of it? Good. Let me turn it over to Pastor.